morning, church. If you would please be turning open to Mark chapter 8. I'm going to have a to jump around to a few scriptures this morning uh, in this little mini-series that we're starting called What's, What's in a Name? And over the next few weeks, we're going to just take our church name and describe why we have that name. Uh, I do need to give a little bit of a disclaimer. I am uh, just a bit distracted this morning. My very sweet, beautiful mama went to be with Jesus last night after 96 years. And I can't help but think of how her love for me Help me love others and be a pastor. And so I'm, I'm really, really grateful. And just in describing how we came to this point of, of even starting the church, going back to my childhood, um, she's a part of that too, um, in a big way. So distracted, I'm emotional, so we will... I just feel subdued. I don't know why, why that word comes to mind, but you are a patient and loving church, so you'll bear with me, I'm sure. Um, but what's in a name? The name of our church, Christ Community Church. Why did we land there? Why was that how it came to be? Um. You know, in, in naming a church, uh, planting pastors get to, I guess, have that joy, but it also can be a stress. Uh, but there, in, in 2012, as we are making plans to move from New Orleans to over here to start the church, just trying to figure out what the name of the church would be, there's a lot of trendy names that were going on back then. Uh, you can do Latin things like Corum Deo or Imago Dei. Greek words, or the trendy, there's a really cool church up in the Dallas area called Watermark. Oh, Watermark. That's cool. But we, we wanted to have a name that was understandable, and that showed us, showed everybody who we were by just putting a name on the door, well, the sign. But we wanted to put Christ there on purpose. And really, thankfully, um, that word's meant a lot to me through my, through my development in, in Christ. I got saved in September of 1987 at 11 years old. And I'm so thankful the Lord saved me. Sitting in the back of Children's Church, my mother had actually signed uh, us up to the three of us, my older brother, uh, at the time, so uh, during that, signed us up to be baptized, and my mother just communicated with the children's ministry uh, coordinator and just finding out about me, and and so I just I I knew that I never ever really prayed a prayer to receive Christ. 
but I was agreeing with everything. It was great. Grew up in a formalized religious structure. Grew up uh, thinking church is a place that you had to be quiet. God was far off and separate, and the, the guy standing behind the the altar was the one that was closest to God. But we went into this church called Lakeview Christian Center across the lake in New Orleans. And knew the, the pastor at that time, uh, a childhood friend of my mother's. And I just remember walking in there going, these people are happy to be here. That's really interesting. Because when I went to church as a kid, we couldn't wait for it to be over. Can, can this just end? And let's go get some McKenzie's donuts, please. Because this is so atrocious. And I remember my mama, she would bring us, and then all of a sudden there was this thing called Sunday night church. Whoa, go to church twice on a Sunday? And people like it? Wow. Well, they had kids programs during that time, and a few times we got my mama to bring us there, and she used to say, you know, I used to fight with y'all just to go to church for an hour. And now you're there two, three hours, and you like it. And Mama, it's, it's different. It's something really different. And I'm, I'm so grateful that we had that difference. But sitting in the back, I knew, wait a minute, I can't get baptized until I say a prayer. So just me in the back, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Said, Lord, I, I'm really, I, I think I've, I just finally got on God's page. I was agreeing with everything. And my expression of faith and putting my trust in Christ was the first evidence for me verbally of what God already had taken, uh, had done in my heart and taken place in my heart. And so I just asked him to forgive me of my sins and to come live inside of me. And he did. And there's been a peace that has never, ever left. Hadn't been easy. We all know that. Christian life's not easy, but he's never, ever left. Had the joy of growing up at Lakeview Christian Center and then went through the youth group there, uh, then was able to, in, in the back part of my college years, was able to go back and serve in the youth ministry there. And I, I got to be a pastor at Lakeview for 15 years. And they're the ones that sent us over to start the church. Uh, met my wife, Kathy, on a missions trip through Lakeview. She and uh, our oldest daughter, Katie, had started coming to church, and in Tula, Mexico, I saw this really attractive woman on the other side of the room and said, I need to go eat breakfast with her every day, what I need to do. But we got, uh, we got married there. It was just, I, I got to grow up in one place, in one spiritual family that was really, really special. Uh, my second parents, Stu and Nancy Masson, were there from the start. 85 is when we got to Lakeview. When did you all get there? Right that same year. So when we came to start the church, when Stu and Nancy had already moved over here, I'm like, oh, good. I can't do church without y'all. We have to, yeah, I have to show up at church and see the Massons. It's how it goes. It's how my Christian life goes. But we, we began to sense... Uh, a call even at this, the pastoral staff, pastoral team over at Lakeview. We're just sensing we need, to, we need to plant. We need to do, we need to multiply ourselves. And so I actually was not thinking that it would be me. I had a little desire to plant, but then I put that away. Uh, knew I was transitioning in ministry over there from the, the youth and the families. And so I just wanted to transition. I knew that, that 
season was coming to an end, uh, but the Lord just sparked in my heart to plant a church. And we had, after the, the, the blessing of Katrina, when St. Tammany Parish became St. Taminard, because all the people from St. Bernard Parish came over here and livened it up a good bit. <laughs> just one family, the Cassidy family, that's it. It's all it required, just to liven everything up around here. But there was a small group that met at Tony and John Acosta's house, and they were all commuting uh, on Sundays across the lake. And so they did it for years, and we just felt, hey, that's a, that's a pretty cool team to start with. So we moved over here, got everything going. By that time, uh, Milton and Katie Ulmer had moved over here. Uh, he, they moved over here without even knowing. Like, y'all had some inkling that we were thinking about planting a church, right? Because we had shared that with the leadership in the church. And so, but Milton and Katie moved over here not even knowing. So it was... Uh, October 4th of 2012, we started in my house with a little Bible study, a weekly Bible study, 35 of us, including kids. And that's how Christ Community Church got started. Just the, the brief history, we uh, knew the, the church that was meeting in this building previously, knew the pastor because years before Katrina, he had been part of Lakeview Christian Center as well, moved to Houston, but then came back uh, to start a church. He said to me, hey, would you want to meet in our space on Saturday nights? We said, absolutely. So in February of 2013, we began meeting in this room. It was oriented differently. The stage was over there. It was big old blackout curtains right there. The entrance was this way, and you came in. Uh, so we met here for six months, and that church said, hey, we're going to move to Mandeville. Do you all want the building? I said, Yes. So six months later, after that, in October, within a year when we started, October of 2013, we became, we were the sole occupants here in this building. And it's, it's been a blessing. It's got its quirks because it's got a big, huge vault door that's still there and scary looking for the children. But here we are. And the Lord has done so much in bringing people, one, to us uh, to help us build. And, and the Lord has... As I've been thinking about everybody that's come through through the years now, in almost nine years, October will be nine years, as we think about everybody that's come through, everybody played a part in building us and, and helping us be who we are. But it started with a name. So for me, the word Christ has always meant a lot because I, my favorite ver verse in the Bible since I was young is Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, I'm not looking at this weird, uh, in order to be a Christian, you got to like live edgy on the verge of death because that's gain. No, the Apostle Paul said, look, I'm hard pressed. He's finished his ministry. He's in his ministry. He said, I really want to be with Jesus because that's awesome, but there's much more work to do right here. And so he said to live is Christ. And in my weird mind, I remember I hated word problems as a kid. Math word problems from the pit of hell, word problems from my mind. Well, I remember this one little thing. Whenever you see the word is, you put an equal sign. It's like, oh, I can feel that. So for me, in my mind, for me to live equals Christ. 
It equals Jesus. And from that time, when I was uh, in a young high school, middle high school age, came across that verse, I just wanted my life to be about Jesus. I wanted everything to be about him. I wanted, I went to an all-boys high school across the lake, and 1,500 of us, I think I was the only believer for a lot of years. And I started, uh, tried to start ministry there, just tried to do something that would be able to let people know who we are and, and why this is different, other than just asking some questions in a religion class and everybody going, oh, you're, I'm rebellious too. This, I, I, this, this, yeah, it's, it's this weird camaraderie with dudes because when you challenge the teacher, it's like, yeah, we're going to get them. That's right. <laughs> yeah, pubescent boys are weird in their own way. <laughs> Teaming up in rebellion. But I, I just wanted everybody to know Jesus was most important to me. I've sought to be that husband that Jesus is the most important. I've sought to raise my children in the same way my pastoring. I really, Jesus is a big deal to me. He's worthy. He's worthy of everything. He's worthy. And he invites us to come. You know, I... We moved Ami up to uh, her dorm at Belmont College, at Belmont University in Nashville this week, and Amelie was our first convert here at the church. Um, she, she remember in her room, she said, Dad, if we're, and Beth was our second, because Beth heard it on the other side of the room, the conversation that was going on. She said, if we're over here to tell people about Jesus and, and have a church so they can get saved, I need that. I need to be saved so I can go tell people about Jesus. I mean, very good. You, you, problem solving is good. Word problems are not your issue. That's very good. So we prayed, and a couple weeks later, Beth said, my turn. I want this too. I had no idea where I was going with that. I apologize. <laughs> oh, moving on me up. So I looked at, I was looking at some churches uh, on the ride home. Just uh, Kathy and I had some different, we, we knew of some churches to recommend to her, but we're listening to some sermons. And uh, Pastor Ray Ortland, who I, I've just, I've always enjoyed his, his preaching, his teaching. Uh, but he got up to welcome everybody to church. And he said this, and I, I just, I want us to glean it too. We have a Savior that says, come to me when you're tired, you're weary, you need rest. But listen to this, y'all. Jesus isn't tired of you. Isn't that beautiful? He's not tired of us. He still wants us to come. He still wants us to be his and to understand and know and receive him. So Jesus is a big deal. That's why Christ is in our name. Next week we'll look at community and then church. But listen, we still have the same passion to see Jesus exalted in one another so our light will shine and be so bright that it goes out to 
illumine the world. And praise God that a church our size is able to send missionaries. It's a big deal. When I tell people that we have sent a family to North Africa, they are amazed at that. And that's something we should rejoice. Wow, God, you have blessed us to be able to do that. We are really, really grateful for that. But let's look at Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 31. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, <coughs> who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. The word Christ in our name calls for personal trust over and against casual engagement. We want to be a church that brings personal trust in Christ to the forefront in everything that we do. Every ministry that we're about, we want it to point to Jesus, go back to Jesus, be filled with Jesus. Because we live in a culture, in a time frame, and it's, it's just, it's human. We live more aware and more desirous of casual engagement with Jesus rather than a personal trust that looks like ultimate surrender. I got nothing left that I'm living for. I'm just living for Jesus. The casual engagement is what Jesus goes after. Who do people say that I am? We got everybody that's got an opinion about Jesus. They say John. Now, at this point, it's, uh, it, it's, we don't know if they knew that John the Baptist had been arrested and then beheaded by Herod. But yet, they looked at John when they're going out, John the Baptist, they're going out to be baptized by him in the Jordan. It's repentance. So there's a, there's a social awareness that John represents that they wanted uh, rescue power to rescue them from social circumstances. Elijah, the prophet Elijah, was, was the one that was to come. Remember, he gets ushered into heaven and chariots of fire, and they're waiting for him. They're waiting for Elijah to come. But most importantly, when on their minds is a political circumstance they need rescue from. Rescue us politically. Now look, we can go down the rabbit trails of uh, social circumstances and situations and political situations and the prophets. They just bring, us, bring some meaning to life, follow a different prophet out there. Jesus is saying... The casual engagement that we come to him with will never satisfy because he says, you come to me socially, politically, just to give something, uh, put a, a little seasoning to your life, you're missing the point. But when we lay our lives down in a personal trust, and this is what we hope everybody who comes, we, we continually pray for the Lord to give us, to, to save lost sheep, and to gather wandering sheep. That's our desire as a church. And as people come in here, and hopefully you have heard this too as you, in your time here, we, we all want to hear Jesus say to us, who do you say that I am? It's got to be a personal trust component 
that each of us are living out beyond a casual engagement because the Son of God is the bridge to our relational divide that our sins have created. The the word Christ is also the word Messiah, the anointed one. In the Old Testament, kings were anointed, prophets were anointed, and priests were anointed. And here, when we put our personal trust in him, and that's what, when Peter says, you are the Christ, he's saying, you're all three of those. You are king, you are prophet, and you're the priest. Now, Jesus says that he's that priest, but in verse 31, they they didn't catch it. Remember, uh, Peter goes to him and says, hey, you can't do this dying thing. That's not how this works. Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. Those are strong words. Because what they expected to come in a sword, Jesus was coming in suffering. And that's the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom. And when he says the son of man, they... They, he's saying, you're right, I'm the Christ, the Son of Man. And they're, they're, every good Hebrew knew, oh, you're referencing Daniel. When Daniel sees the vision of the, the Son of Man going into heaven, I believe G, Daniel saw the ascension of Jesus into heaven and wrote it down. When God crowns him and gives him authority over everything, and he says, you're the king, nobody else but you. So when Jesus uses that phrase, son of man, he uses it the most of himself. He's saying, I'm the king. I'm the prophet, but I'm also the priest that will lay down my life. I'm the, I'm the sacrifice for you. Now turn quickly to John 14. A couple books over. John 14, verses 1 through 7. I'm not, I'm not sure. We have all of them on the screen, but if we don't, you can listen to the first few. Christ also means that we have an eternal hope grounded in a sure foundation. So one, we, are, we call for personal trust over casual engagement, and we also highlight Christ who is our eternal hope and sure foundation. Jesus says to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Can we just let that sit in? I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may also, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Listen, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. We want to highlight Jesus in our relationship with him, with one another, that we feel that there would be a seasoning about our church that would be an eternal hope set on the truth of Christ in a culture where truth gets to be defined by how I feel any particular day. And we do have a lasting truth. We do have a lasting way and a lasting life. Why? To get to the joy of the Father. To get to God himself. So Christ is our eternal hope. Why eternal hope? We hope that he's coming back. 
And we want him to come back. We want him to come and rule and reign. But listen, we want others to be saved, to be gathered into that as well. We need, we, oh, we, that, that tension, that's what the Apostle Paul felt in, in Philippians 1 when he's describing for me to, to die is gain, but I, wanna, I want Jesus to be known. And so if I'm staying here, it means more fruitful labor. We want our labors to be fruitful. We want our life with Christ to be fruitful and edifying to everybody that we come around, giving, uh, I'm thinking of Colossians 4, it says, let your words be seasoned with salt. That we know the fitting things to say, being led by the Spirit. I, I loved, uh, find Katie Ulmer had a wonderful, stepped out of her comfort zone at Sam's and met a man who just needed to be reminded that God loves him. Oh, that we would have more of those stories, y'all that we would not be so blinded or, or tunnel vision to what we need to accomplish. I get in that mode. When I get in a mode of needing to accomplish a task, I don't eat until that task is accomplished. But that we would be led by the Spirit and we would highlight Jesus to one another and to the lost because he's still gathering the lost. Praise God, he's still saving people. And we want him to do that. We want to be used for him to do that. So he will come get us for eternity. Right now we are comforted by his spirit that he is sent to dwell in us and we are comforted by the truth that Jesus is. One of the pastors that I learned from and then got to serve with at Lakeview Christian Center always said, listen to this old man. It's true. It's true. And I thought, it's really helpful to hear an aged man say, don't worry, it's true. You can trust it. And we say that to one another. He is trusting and trustworthy. That's why I have to not go into community yet because that, that's where that happens. That, that Jordan described, you'll hear testimonies of that. We learn to trust one another. We're discovering Jesus together as we do that, as we surround uh, around his word. And Jesus is that sure foundation. You know how we know it's true? You know, we would never, Pastor Tim Keller has said this, we would never know the depth or the extent of God's love for us if Jesus didn't die. But since he died... We know absolutely how much he loves us. And Paul tells the Romans in chapter 5, you know, for a righteous person, somebody might step in and say, hey, I'll take this for you. I'll die in your place. But for unrighteous people, now we have to be aware. We're all the unrighteous ones that Jesus steps in and says, I'll die on the cross for him. I'll die on the cross for her. It was all on him. And he steps in. That's where we are. But he comes to bring us to himself and joins us there so we are sure of his love. So when, when we hear him say, I love you, we don't have to ask how much, to what extent. He's proven it. He died for us. That's how we know he really does love us. And he's been raised. He was raised on the third day. We celebrate that every single day. So it's all true. Everything that Jesus did and said is true. Because he said, I will rise on the third day and he rose so everything else he said is true and he said i'm the way and the truth and the life come to me and you'll discover the joy of the father 
Isn't it beautiful? This is why we want Christ to be preeminent. Colossians 1. Which is the verse that you see that I'm so happy our children know. When for years I like can't find anything in my Bible anymore. This is wild. Uh, for years, when everybody through the years, I should say, we've had when the church is empty, people come up here and they the different kids will give announcements and they'll stand up here. And it's great because every one of them says, here at Christ Community Church, we want Jesus to be preeminent. I love it. It's working. It's not brainwashing because it's true. But we need the reminder. We certainly need the reminder. Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Listen, pause. He rules over it all. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We want Jesus to be first. You know my love for biography and missionary stories. Uh, I got this verse reminder this for me in college something leapt out in my heart with that word preeminent and and putting that together with philippians one just want jesus to be first but i was reading through the biography and story of amy carmichael wonderful woman of faith who opened a a girl's home in india in southern india and she would fascinating story she would dress up like a Hindu worshiper in a big, huge gown and go into the temples where poor uh, families had given their daughters married to be married to the gods, which meant they grew up as, as temple prostitutes. But they were these little eight, nine, ten-year-old girls. Amy would go in in her garb and you snatch a child out of the temple and bring her home. And then they realized as they saw the families coming with their children toward the temple, they would stop and say, please come over here. Come over here. We'll take her. We'll take her. So many. There is still one lady. who I think she's still alive. A documentary I saw a few years ago. A guy, Tim Challies, interviewed this lady who came there as a baby. And her name, Amy Carmichael, gave her her name. And she's the last one of that generation. But she still works there at Donovan. still there serving. Just a beautiful legacy, beautiful gospel-loving legacy. But she, uh, if you go there today, uh, I think it's in Hindi. I don't know if it's in English. Maybe on one side it's in English, but there's an arch going in, and it says that in all things he might be preeminent. I remember reading that going, God, if you ever call me to start a church, plant a church, that's going to be the caption verse. That easy. There was a really scientific method to that. I was like, just leapt in my heart. Now, the, the beauty of this, and this is, it really is amazing. 
that you keep coming to church. That really is amazing because I know what I sound like and sometimes I don't like how I sound. But you keep on coming. God's doing something. I'm really grateful for that. But what's special about this is when we come together around the vision that when Christ is our identity, that's what that preeminent word means. He's our identity. And when we remind each other of our identity in Christ, we will have joy inexplicable and full of glory. We will have peace with one another and we will shine in a world that hates God and is on a fast track in their rebellion and pride to complete and utter outer darkness away from him for all eternity. We don't want that. So we want to be used by him. We want to be used because we are Christ's. We are his. So we want to live lives that are a a passionate proclamation of Jesus' preeminence. That's what we look to do. That's what we encourage for ourselves. So right now, what what is it that you're holding, potentially gripping, that has the temptation to take the place of Christ, that you want to go after that first rather than Jesus? We, we've got to live for Jesus. That's what it's about. But I'm so grateful. And, and the blessing and the edifying part for me is that when, this in my heart, that we are a church that feels like a family that Jesus just reigns and rules over in love and purity and blessing. It's just really cool how you get on board with that. And we share it together. Thank you. Thank you for making pastoring easy. You really, really do. I, we're going to face issues. We're going to face all the things that life entails. But when we do them from a perspective of saying, I, I don't know what uh, song we were singing. I don't know it was, it was the song that God gave Mark for this morning. That reminding for God, asking God to remind us that He's doing more. Oh, that stuck out to me. He's always He's always doing something. What's He doing? Going after our personal trust. Who do you say I am? Because he wants our hope to be on him and the sure foundation of the truth because we are his. That's our identity. And that's the glory that we share. Let's pray. Father, we want to live Jesus' life. We want Jesus, you to be first in everything, but start in our minds and infiltrate our hearts so our lives will shine with your love. God, we ask for resurrection power to be our experience. We ask for our identity to be so grounded in you and firm and immovable because, God, you are immovable. And the work that you do, and when you say it's done and it's finished, it's true. Thank you for saving us. We trust you. We trust you.